Welcome to Beatitudes, where your host, Dr. Kwamenich Sukina, will give you tools to experience wisdom in your everyday life. Listen each week as Dr. Kwamenich Sukina shares stories that will help guide your faith, perspective, and attitude in every situation. This is Dr. Sukina of Indigenous Messengers International, and here is our host. Today, in this episode, we're going to talk about be hopeful, therefore encouraged. I want to start today by reading a poem by Carl Sandburg. It's called, Hope is a Tattered Flag. Hope is a tattered flag and a dream of time. Hope is a heart-spun word, the rainbow, the shadow blow in white. The evening star invaluable over the coal mines, the shimmer of the northern lights across a bitter winter night, the blue hills beyond the smoke of the steel works, the birds who go on singing to their mates in peace, war, peace, the 10-cent crocus bulb blooming in a used car salesroom, the horseshoe over the door, the lucky piece in the pocket, the kiss and the comforting laugh and resolve. Hope is an echo. Hope ties itself yonder, yonder. When I was 35 years old, excuse me, I may have to clear my throat some. I have a little bit of a catch in my throat. I was in a very difficult time in my life. I was struggling with a difficult to diagnose illness and still trying to parent my two sons in the midst of great suffering and the unknown. I was only 35 years old and my body was failing me. It was not supposed to be this way. I was a charismatic Christian and I believed that being a victorious Christian meant that sickness would have no way to continue in my body and because of my faith that I would be healed. So you can see why it completely knocked my legs out from under me when my experience did not work out that way. Trust me, I tried. I was desperate to be healed. I still had a lot of life left in me and ahead of me. And I needed to provide for my kids. I also wanted to be able to be operating 100% engaged in their lives. I didn't want my children having just a mother just barely showing up. They needed me to be there for them as their mom, and I felt that really heavy. It really was a challenging time for me, not just in the illness aspect, but also in the battering my faith base was taking. Not only did I feel like a loser for not being healed, but a few others of my faith also saw me in the same way. Not a lot of them, mind you, but one negative Nelly can spoil the whole bunch. You know, we tend to dwell on the one or two negatives, and after all, this just confirmed to me what I already believed about myself. Stated simply to you, that would be that I just didn't have enough faith on board to be healed. I was a failure in the faith department. That's how I felt. Totally like a failure. During this time, many people in my faith-based organization did come to my side to offer support and love. At the same time, there were those who came and offered me lectures, pep talks, 
and bombarded me with scriptures. Now, I'm not saying to you that the scriptures are bad. They're not. And the advice was well intended. It's just at the time, it was more than I could handle. I simply could not bear up under the weight. I remember telling one of my benevolent visitors, who was loading me up with scriptures at the time, I don't need more word or more scriptures. I know the word in the scriptures. They're in me. I need hope. Immediately, I thought of the understanding of the word of God being like a sword. In one of the churches I attended, the pastor would start that, the sermon, and he would say, did you bring your sword today? And everyone would hold their Bibles up. And I remembered the scripture saying that the word of God is active and alive, sharper than any double-edged sword. And it was also called the sword of the Spirit. You know, in, in my mind's eye, you know, I was so fragile and ill and weak in my condition. And people were coming to see me, and, and some of them, all of them well-meaning, but the ones that would load me up with scripture, it was like they were bringing heavy swords and putting them into my hands to carry and hold on to. And, and I was getting sword after sword after sword. And, and I could see myself standing there weighted down, barely able to hold up under the weight of the swords they were laying in my arms for me to use. Have you ever picked up a real sword? I have. And they are really heavy. And that's why I had this picture of myself in my weakened state trying to hold up several of them at one time. The swords were weighing me down with their weight. And some of the people that were judgmental were piercing me through with them to my core, all in the name of God. I just didn't have the strength to hold those swords up. Once again, I knew in my spirit I didn't need more word or more scriptures, I knew and had the word in my heart and mind. I needed hope, pure and simple, but oh so powerful hope. During that same time while I was asking God for hope to fill my weary soul, a friend called me on the phone one day and she said, I've got something for you. I really think I've got something that I want to just speak over you. And it was a scripture, but it came through differently. And she spoke this to me. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This was not a scripture with a to-do for me. It was a scripture where God would be doing the to-do and all I would be doing was receiving, just being a receptacle. My fragile soul at the time really leaned into that. What is hope? Hope is to look forward to something with reasonable confidence, and it's to believe, desire, or trust. It's also to feel that something that's desired might happen. I remember in 2011, while in another challenging relapse of my illness, and, and you can tell by me sharing with you, I've been through a lot with this. I remember seeing a doctor at the time that simply was unable to help me manage my illness. I was new to the area, I just moved, and I found this doctor who seemed like it would be a really good match. He had all the credentials in what I was dealing with, but he wasn't a good match for me. He simply did not understand the rare disease that I had, and I was taking more time educating him and energy 
than I was getting care. Meanwhile, my symptoms were increasing and worsening. I remember feeling so overwhelmed and so totally exhausted with the whole process. I remember leaving his office one day and just being overwhelmed. I felt like I had to hold on to this doctor because I didn't know where else to go at the time to get help since I was new to the area. But I remember that day when I left his office, the creator speaking to my heart and saying these simple words, better no doctor than the wrong doctor. This is true. But during the time of desperation when your body is failing, it's not what you want to hear. But because I learned to trust the voice of the creator, I let the doctor go and I trusted to find another one. It took quite some time, and during that time, my optimism was low, and I was suffering. But I did locate another physician, and I thought, well, I'll just check this doctor out. I was having to manage my illness alone without much outside medical support at the time. I was in a new city and a new state, and I'm, I was having to start over to completely rebuild my medical team. Now, when you have a life-threatening illness like I have dealt with, that's, that's not easy. I have a team of 20 doctors at Cedars-Sinai because now everything is specialty medicine. So since I have a systemic illness that affects every area of my body, every system, I have to have all these specialists. It's not easy to coordinate all that. And I didn't realize at the time how discouraged I was and how little I really expected when I was going in to see this new doctor. I was like, I don't know that I'm going to get any help here. I showed up at the appointment with the new doctor with low expectations. I really was afraid to expect too much. Hope deferred can not only make your heart sick, it can also make us somewhat jaded. The doctor came in and we had a productive visit. He really didn't know a lot about my illness, but he was willing to listen. He was willing to learn. And he knew a whole lot about the body and about medicine. And he was willing to apply what he knew to try to figure out how to help me. He said these words to me, I think I can help you. And then he left the room to get some information for me. When he walked out, I leaned over in my chair and I put my head in my hands and took the first deep breath I had in a long time. I then felt life come back into my body, and I said to myself out loud, this is what hope feels like. I felt it tangibly, beautiful hope. It filled every cell of my body, and it pushed out fear and doubt and unbelief. It bathed me in light, that light entering the cells of my body. I know there are those of you out, list, out there listening to me today, and you know exactly what I'm describing, whether it's going to get your medical report to hear that your cancer is in remission, finding out that you're going to get an infusion of money to pay for something you couldn't, finding out there's a treatment for your mentally ill child, hearing your baby's heartbeat on ultrasound when you haven't felt it kick for days, hope, being infused with hope. It doesn't matter the circumstance. It's just that that infusion of beautifully miraculous hope that is mind and body altering, that it's there. Hope from the God of hope. Hope comes from him. Let me tell you a little bit about what hope is not. Hope is not denial. 
Hope is also not looking at something terrible from a positive angle. Hope is not pretending that the dark places we are in can be made, can be made light by wrapping them in colorful words and placing a positive bow on top. That is not hope. Hope is not something that can be conjured up. Hope does not turn darkness into light, but instead it brings light into the darkness and it allows us to reside there next to the flame of hope while it ignites a spark of resilience in us that was not there moments before. What does true hope do for us? Well, it's motivating. When hope floods my body, it creates an energy of possibility that did not exist that now does. When I'm walking in times of not having hope, it feels like I'm walking in molasses. It feels like I'm moving against the molasses and walking upstream or pushing a string up a hill. When hope floods my body, it creates a different energy. This gives me the umph to get up and move forward. Hope is an energizing force. Hope strengthens us physically and emotionally. It releases positive chemicals into our body that battle depression and anxiety. Many times when I was very, very ill and I couldn't eat and I was struggling and suffering in my body, I would have my friends come, the safe ones, and they would pray for me and and I would be infused with hope. And the first thing that I would want to do is eat something. I would feel this energy come into my body and I would have motivation and I would be hungry. It actually changes your body chemistry. Hope gives us spiritual insight and it opens our eyes to possibilities and opportunities. Where once all we saw was a wall and blockage. Now through the eyes of hope, there are new choices and paths to take. And ultimately, as a person of faith who believes in, in an eternal life, when we cross over, hope, it leaves me able to grieve in a different way than if I had no faith base to stand on. The scriptures say in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, that we're not to be uninformed about those who sleep in death or to grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Because we have faith, we are not without hope. We're told that the Creator Himself will gather us and we will be with the Lord forever. We're, encouraged, we're to encourage ourselves with these words. Grief is brutal. At least it has been for me. It can make you feel gutted like a fish. The closer the person that is no longer physically in our lives, the more difficult it can be. It's a body trip, a mind trip, and a spiritual trip all wrapped up in one. It affects every area of our lives, and it slips up on us when we least expect it and pulls the rug out from under our feet. It's not always sadness that affects us, but sometimes memory loss and extreme fatigue to the bone. None of us are spared if we live a full lifetime and if we dare to boldly love and attach ourselves to others. I've been a recipient of grief more than once in my life, and I've never gotten comfortable with its presence. At times for me, it feels like I'm being locked in a commercial freezer in a short-sleeved shirt without merely a sweater. It's bone cold. It's chilling. My mother crossed the veil in 2012. It was unexpected. She had breast cancer, and she told none of us children, none of her children, my brothers and I, about it. She kept it to herself. 
Perhaps she felt it was protecting us in some way. She entered the hospital the last week or so of May, and she passed from this life a short two weeks later in June. It was fast, and, and I was very unprepared for it. My mother was rarely sick, and as most kids of our parents, we can't ever imagine life without our folks. So we don't, unless something happens to threaten our denial of their approaching trip to eternity. So it was with my mom. I knew my mother was aging, but I just didn't allow myself to think about it too often because it was just unfathomable to me that she wouldn't be around. I had always been with her, first in her belly, then in her home, but always in her heart. My life had never been a life without my mother in it. About a month before her diagnosed cancer, I traveled to Tennessee, and I went to my childhood home where she still resided. I wanted to spend some time with her. When I pulled up in front of the house, I gazed at the home I'd grown up in, and memories flashed before my eyes. And then my eyes spanned the front entrance, and then it landed over to the left of the driveway on the purple irises that were growing around the mailbox at the entrance to the driveway there. These beautiful pur purple irises, the state flower of Tennessee, I had seen those irises bloom every year for the last 52 years. They were a symbol of that homestead, and I called them Nanny's irises since she was nanny to her grandchildren. When I'd pull up at the house, I'd say, there's Nanny's irises. All of a sudden, I felt a strong desire to ask my mother if I could dig up some of those irises and take them to plant at my home in California. My mom said, sure, honey, you can have as many as you want. She gave her okay, and I dug up several iris bulbs to make the trip back to California. Because I was going somewhere else after my trip um, to Tennessee, I was going on to New Orleans for my son's wedding, I decided to go ahead and ship them to Tennessee so I wouldn't have to carry them in my suitcase. I, I wasn't sure if they would pull them out or something at the airport, and I wanted to make sure I got them to my house. But once they were there, I had no idea if they would even bloom there in the condition because I knew they would be pretty dry, but I wanted to try any, anyway. So I dug them up and I carted them back to my friend's house where I was staying and I packaged them up in a box to ship to my home in California. I felt such an attachment to those irises I can't even explain. Some things ha sometimes things happen for me. They have a spiritual reason that I understand later that I don't always know going in, but I just felt an attachment to these irises. And so much so that I, as I tucked them into the box <laughs> that I was going to mail them in before I covered them up with tissue and stuff, I leaned over and gave them a kiss before I closed the box. <clears throat> and I remember thinking, well, that is really strange. But somehow it just felt like the right thing to do. After I closed the box, I taped it shut and I put the address on it of my home. And then I patted the box and I said, okay, now, you get to your destination, and I will see you on the other side. The next day, I mailed the box, and off it went to California. A couple weeks later, the box of irises arrived at my home, and I carried them to the backyard to plant them. You know, I really wondered if they would even, were even going to live since they'd been out of the dirt for so long, and they were really dry. And I was planting them in the summer, in the desert, <laughs> not their normal time to be planted, and I wasn't even sure if irises would grow well in the desert, but I was going to try anyway. 
while I was planning them, my phone rang. And when I answered it on the phone was my brother who called to tell me that my mother had been taken to the hospital. Long story short, it was discovered that she had bone cancer from metastasized breast cancer. And this was so shocking to all of us, to my brothers and I, because we had no idea she was even sick. But we all rolled up our sleeves and jumped in to fight with cancer, the fight of her life, to save our mother. This fight was not successful because she had waited too long to even begin her fight. She passed away two weeks after she entered the hospital, and I was honored to get to be with her as she crossed the veil. And I'll share about that at a different time. I stayed in Tennessee to help with the funeral, and my sons came to join me, Derek and Daniel, for the services to honor their grandmother. It was a difficult, it was very difficult to let her go. She was quite an amazing woman. And she had made such an impact on so many lives. She was a teacher and she was, it was a calling to her. And, and she was so vital in her community, in the political arena, you know, in the faith-based arena, in the educational arena. My mother really lived a life of service. Before her funeral memorial began, our family gathered into the parlor of the church before we joined the rest of the participants in the larger sanctuary. It was a special time for us to have some final words with our mother and then just to be together as a family. It would be the last time this side of the veil to stand in the presence of her beautiful face, gaze on her aging but delicate hands, these hands that had held us, hands that had taught others, and hands that had prayed for us. As I stood at her casket with my sons, I stepped over to her and I said a few last words. I don't even remember what they were, probably just telling her I loved her. And I reached over and kissed her on the head. Shortly after that, they closed the casket, the box that she would make her journey in. Instinctively, I reached out and patted the box, her casket. And I said, I'll see you on the other side. All at once, a scene replayed in my mind. It was just immediate that scene of the irises. I had placed them in the box and kissed them. At the time, I couldn't. I thought that was so strange, but I'd done the same thing. Then I closed the box, patted it, and said, see you on the other side. Remembering that, I realized this is not a coincidence. This is too close to be an accident. The creator then said to me at that moment, just like your irises will bloom this coming spring, your mother will bloom as well, and you will see her on the other side. That's the promise I make to you, and it will be a sign to you. It reminded me of the rainbow that God said was a sign of a promise as well. Now, I have to admit to you that I had some doubts about the irises blooming since I was planting them out of season. I've already told you that I wasn't sure they would even make it. But my doubts were wasted because in the spring of the following year, I walked out to water my flowers, and there they were a whole bunch of beautiful purple irises blooming in my yard in California. For me, it was the sign from God. The promise that he made me was coming true. He had said that just like I would see the irises bloom in the spring, I would see my mother again blooming on the other side of the veil. Hope, hope, miraculous hope. Not only did Nanny's irises bloom in my yard that year in California, 
I dug up some of them and transplanted them to Idaho when we moved there, and they bloomed in Idaho all over my yard, front and back. I left some there and dug up some of them to take with me back to California when I moved. I dispersed them to my children and my brothers and kept some for myself, and they have bloomed in their yards all across the United States. Nannies, irises. And now, once again, I'm planting them in my yard so that I can see the hope of the promise as a reminder of what is blooming across the veil waiting for me. My mother, my father, my grandparents, all of those who have gone on before me are blooming across the veil. As people of faith, we're not without hope. In the scriptures, the Creator is called the God of hope. He creates something out of nothing. He created he creates light out of darkness, and he creates hope out of despair. As the song of the 70s says, when we put our hand in the hand of the man who stilled the waters, and we put our hand in the hand of the man who calmed the sea, we allow the hope that God creates to flow from his hand into our hands and into our lives. The same hand that reached down and pulled Peter out of the raging water and walked him safely back to the boat will pull us up out of the pit of despair and infuse us with hope that will dull the threatening circumstances in our lives and silence the voice of the enemy. As people of faith, we have our elder brothers, the children of Jacob, Israel, to teach us. The Jews who've been through so many atrocities leveled at them repeatedly and yet, and yet they continue to hope and to rise again and again from the ashes. Rabbi Sharon Browse says, the idea that it's possible to move from slavery to freedom and from darkness to light and from despair to hope, that is the greatest Jewish story ever told. And Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs says, Optimism and hope are not the same. Optimism is the belief that the world is changing for the better. Hope is the belief that together we can make the world better. Optimism is a passive virtue. Hope is an active one. It needs no courage to be an optimist, but it takes a great deal of courage to hope. The Hebrew Bible is not an optimistic book. It is, however, one of the greatest literatures of hope. Proverbs 23:18 says, Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Let us receive the miracle of hope that Yahweh himself graciously gives to his children. And now I want to end our session today with my prayer and my hope for you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May that miraculous hope from God, from the creator of the universe, may it flow into your bodies now and into every cell of your body and root out all the things that are dark and negative so that you can have shalom, that you can have peace and you can have trust. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you've been encouraged some. Um, I always say that your time that you give me is valuable because it is. You only have a certain amount of time in this lifetime.
It's finite on this side of the veil. So I appreciate you sharing that with me today. And I appreciate for you that you took that time for yourself to step out of a lot of the things going on in your life, to have a little moment of inspiration. And I hope you have been inspired today. I also want to direct you to our website, which is indigenousmessengers.com. You can learn more about me there and you can see things, books that we have written and see DVDs. And there's beautiful artwork there that my husband has done. I invite you to visit our website. And as I close today, I want to remember my grandchildren and my children. The greatest gift that we are given in this lifetime is our kids and our grandkids. They make us eternal. And I just want to remember them today in my own heart and mind and release love to them. This is my ethical will for them. I'm, I'm wanting to live with them my values and my, leave for them my values and my stories. So today, this podcast is dedicated to my children and my grandchildren. Bless you all. Thank you for listening to Beatitudes with Dr. Kwamenich Sukina. Be sure to follow the show for more tools on how to experience wisdom in your everyday life for you to walk in victory with the right attitude.